Episode 74 of Gaming and BS, sponsored by Grayed Out Dice Bags. Head over to Grayed Out Productions, use promo code GAMINGNBS, and receive 10% off your order. Thank you for tuning in to Gaming and BS. Tonight or today, or whenever you're listening to this, we're talking about investigation-focused RPGs. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome, folks. Glad to have you here. Welcome announcements. So we've got a little uh, gaming MBS hangout thing going, Sean. Sean, you're the man, the mastermind behind this social media extravaganza. Why don't you tell our listeners all about it? February 20th, noon central time, whatever that is, Greenwich Mean Time or whatever the other GMT time it is, we're having a BSing with Friends where we're going to be online, Google Hangouts, so make sure you come and join us, set your, set your calendar to that time and date, We'd love to wrap with you. Uh, we're not going to record it, I don't think, Brett, are we? No, I don't see why we should have to. And if we get something fun, I mean, it depends, right? I mean, the, there's always the theory that we release it as a bonus BS episode type of thing. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? We don't want to, we don't want to record it to dissuade people from being there. So that's yeah, my Yeah, if people concern. show up and they're like, yeah, please don't record this, then whatever, you know, we will honor their request. Yeah, we'll make you sign our uh, legal disclaimer. Which, which is, you <laughs> ask me not to and I won't do it. <laughs> it's about that simple. Right. So the other announcement I had was uh, Gamehole Con. Alex and the boys over there had thrown out a little something. Now, Gamehole, obviously, it's off in November, but they do a have uh, something that they're... the Gamehole. <laughs> I completely forgot about that. I, don't I forgot know. about the bumper. Who gives a shit about that thing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, um, they've got something going on for the smaller publishers. Folks only have a couple games, one, two games. They're setting up a dedicated area called Demo Row. <clears throat> what they're going to do there is going to be a series of tables... Uh, predominantly, uh, excuse me, prominently located uh, where the designers can be set up ready to show you their games. Uh, attendees can browse through them, talk to the actual designer of these of uh, these smaller press games, and uh, you know, obviously, folks will be running games. So um, he doesn't have a lot of details out on it yet, but I'm assuming that we could have board games, card games, all sorts of stuff. Last year, uh, next to Sean and my little table, we did have some folks demoing different smaller press games. So I am glad that that's getting. A little more tension from them. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we said this in the bonus BS episode when we covered Game Hole, where it was about the the guy who was demoing and the game. Uh, I know this isn't going to do anything for people listening, but there was a gentleman there from a particular game who made a card game. I don't think it was collectible. Might have been deck building a little bit, but it was parano- para psychology. Remember that, Brett? Did I tell you? Vaguely, vaguely. He was next. He wasn't that far away from us, though. Yeah. yeah. So he, when I talked to him, very nice guy. He is an he's an actual parapsychologist who created this game. So I was more interested in talking to him. I think I mentioned I did mention this because I or I mentioned it to somebody. But yeah, I was talking to him. He's like, yeah, I do this, and he had been on. So it's like Peter Venkman. He'd been on like the psychology sci- and parapsychology. I think he's been on like the Sci-Fi Channel. Like he's like, really? a, yeah. And it's yeah, not cool. Ghost Hunters, but I was like, man, I'd be more interested in talking to you than maybe learning your game, but. Which was kind of insulting at a con, but hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> well, I didn't tell him that, but... I know, okay. That's fun. Cool. But yes, yeah, a good example of whoever you run into demoing games. 
That's all we had for announcements, I think. We got some random encounter. Ready? All right, let's go to random encounter. Random encounter. Segment of the show where we field emails, voicemails, and comments from social media. We actually have a voicemail that we could play. Sweet. Ready for this? Let's do it. All right. Guys, this is Chris Shorb, and calling back, I'm uh, just listening to episode 36. The, this is the episode on epic level, high level role playing games. And I think I'm on the same page. I think I agree with Brett on this one that there is a difference between epic level and high level. Now, that said, one of the additions at D&D did explicitly call out that epic level. Oh, it was fourth edition. So fourth edition had the heroic tier, then it had the paragon tier, and then it had the epic tier, which was 21st through 30th level. Um, and so I think. There is explicitly in one of the editions of D&D, they do talk about epic level. But in a, if you take a step back from that, from a higher level, I think there's such a thing as an epic level where there is kind of this overarching storyline, you know, the War of the Ring or, or something along those lines. And that is epic. And it's, you know, from someone from very humble beginnings to becoming great, kingmaker and stuff like that. You guys are kind of using those terms. Uh, and I, I think that that's sort of in, Opposition, and I don't know what I might get, you know, this could be a whole different discussion. Epic level is in opposition to a sandbox game where it's, there's no overarching storyline. It's just kind of explore the world and see what's out there. I just wanted to throw that point out there, kind of the, how I saw there might be a difference between epic level and sandbox. Uh, I know usually it's sandbox versus railroad, but I think epic level doesn't necessarily mean the railroad. It just means that there's in the background, there's this big storyline, and the characters may become the protagonists of that big storyline, at which point it's no longer in the background, it's in the foreground. I'm slowly but surely catching up to the beginning of the show. Uh, take care. Bye-bye. All right. So that there's good stuff. Yeah, I uh, I don't know if I agree wholeheartedly with Mr. Shorb. I got a noodle on that one. I hadn't honestly hadn't thought about the difference in... Sandbox, railroad slash um, epic. You know what, what does that do if you do something massive and grand on a War of the Ring or Game of Thronesy kind of <clears throat> kingmaker, as he says, type of style? And what that does or doesn't do to a sandbox type of thing. So I don't know. I don't know. That damn that gave me something to think about. We'll have to see what that turns into. Yeah. See, I think that I would say. I would think that you can still do a sandbox adventure and become epic. And I think part of Chris is also hinting at that simply because he says that it's not necessarily a railroad. So obviously the two ends of the scale is like railroad and sandbox. And he is more apt to say that I'm putting words in his mouth, but my interpretation from his short voicemail is that, um, your chances of being epic in a sandbox, let's play it safe, is probably less so. Like you wouldn't become epic in a sandbox environment. I don't know about that, though. Well, I'll tell you what. If you take what um, some of the guys tried to do, El Sprague de Camp and others, with um, the Conan um, stories, when they took them and tried to put them in chronological order, kind of creating an epic kingmaker where Conan goes from you know, no one Sumerian penniless vagabond all the way up to to king as he as he is in the books. <clears throat> it's kind of a manifest destiny, and sometimes having 
oftentimes, I think anyway, when people think a kingmaker thing specifically, or characters belonging to that type of a thrust, it feels like there is a predetermined set of things that need to occur for that to happen. Again, I'm just taking, I need more time to think about what Chris said to see if I can digest it better, but that's good stuff, man. Our listeners give us some really good things to think about. So that was a good one. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, thank you. All right, man. I've got one here from Bruce Covington, <clears throat> our buddy over there in the great UK. He says, hey, guys, I really enjoyed your recent episode on DCC. Uh, Lee Nielsen and myself are running four DCC games over the weekend of the UK Games Expo in Birmingham, UK, this coming June. We really appreciate a mention on Gaming and BS. Booking should be going live any day now. So go out there and look him up. If you're on the other end of the pond, if you're in the UK for any reason, um, look him up, dude. If you're there in June, check it out. And you're listening to this before June of 2016. Good point, June of 2016. Yeah. <laughs> Had someone show up in June of 2017 go, what's up People with this? are going to go through our back catalog, and obviously our Fair show point. is not evergreen. We don't we – don't, we don't focus too much on being evergreen. And if people aren't familiar with evergreen, it's kind of removing the dates part of it. So that our wisdom, our wisdom is for the ages, but these specific date and time events are not correct. That's how I see it. <laughs> That's exactly correct. So if you get this and you get wind of it, or if you get wind of it after June of 2016, you can successfully kick yourself in the butt for not looking up Bruce and getting to us sooner where you could have explored and taken advantage of his awesomeness at the UK Games Expo in June of 2016. Exactly. So Uh Look him up if you're going there. Bruce, man, I would love to hear a report from you after the fact how it goes. So let us know. if Bru- nothing. And if you're there, say hi, shake his hand. He's a fellow BSer, man. And Bruce, if you run into Dave McAllister, who may be representing Triple Ace Games... You tell him Sean Kelly says hello. Is that is that some weird spy code for are you are you activating a sleeper agent by doing you, that? You, or you know, happens? it's it's funny that you bring that up, Brett, because Dave that's McAllister. Funny. I'll tell you why that's really ironic that you bring up some secret code spy craft stuff. It's because okay. that's that's how I know Dave. Oh, really? Yep that's i funny. I ran the Grumbling Door forums way back in the day. And I changed it, the, the actual form, like so different forms are PHBB and a couple other snits was what I was running, which is ASP based. Dave was Ooh, run- fascinating. I know. Hold on. I'm getting to this. So Dave <laughs> had a site called, and we both had the same format for our forms and he ran modus operandi.com.uk or something like that, .co.uk. And I have on and off over the years come across Dave in RPG circles because his site was all about espionage RPGs, James Bond, Spycraft, Top Secret, you name Covert Ops, all that there stuff. There you go. I think you might have mentioned him when we talked about spy games a while back. So he and I have followed each other on Google Plus and Twitter, but we've never run into each other in face-to-face. And so I actually reached out to him and said, hey, are you going to UK Games Expo? Because I know this Bruce Covington guy who listens to our show, who's going to be putting on some events, uh, you know, you should, you should talk to him. I don't know. But anyways, that's kind of why I bring that up, man. Very cool. Yeah. Anyways. Next one is for you. It's a long one. You ready? Is this Mr. Dawson? Mr. Mark Dawson. <sighs> this is Mark Dawson, official gaming NBS archivist. 
Brett, do you guys do uh, breathing techniques in Taekwondo? Yes, we do. Now, up chuggy? Key up chuggy? Yes. <laughs> Your turn. Read. <laughs> All right. Hello, BSers. Thank you for delving into Dungeon Crawl Classics. I've heard the name, but had no prior insight into the mechanics and details of the game. So I found the past two episodes very enlightening. Jen Brinkman's contributions to the show were refreshing, and her knowledge of the DCC system is most impressive. I hope you have future episodes that explore other game systems in a similar manner. Not a bad idea. It's a good suggestion, Mark. We'll see what we can do. We might not be able to get someone of the class level that Jen brought to the show, but hey, anybody else is going to bring, we're going to step up. We could try. We could try. All we can do is try. Absolutely. Regarding the upcoming schedule, I see class RPG versus non-class RPG is the next topic, which was last week, which was episode 73. Correct. Uh, While I tend to enjoy freedom when it comes to character development, classes play an important part in balancing a game. I will agree with Mark with that statement. With that said, I always found certain class limitations like weapon and armor restrictions to be ridiculous in early versions of D&D. I mean, Gandalf fared pretty well with a longsword for being a wizard. Yeah, and the old school reasoning and logic was, um, my understanding anyway, it was it was balancing all around the board, right? That if you gave everybody access to everything, then why be a fighter? Why be a dwarf or whatever the case is? So Brett, I get it. Brett, do you believe in the, the AD&D rule that clerics do not carry? Edged weapons? Edged weapons. Depends on what variation of the game I'm playing. Oh, don't you ride that fence? You no, seriously, I do. If if I'm if I want to play if I want to play Greyhawk, if I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to run a Greyhawk game, I'm running first edition, AD and D, old school rules. If I'm going to play um, Forgotten Realms, my preference for Forgotten Realms is first edition AD and D, old school rules. If I play anything but that, else, you're not telling me anything. <clears throat> you're not you're not telling me by saying, yeah, I'm, if I play AD and D, I'm going to play Greyhawk or Forgotten yeah, Realms. What I'm that, saying is that I want. It depends on the setting. It depends on the setting and the game I want to play. I'm not going to play AD&D. Um, what do I want to say? I'm not going to play a cleric who can wield the sword in a Greyhawk game. I'm just not going to do it. Well, that's what I'm looking for, man. What's the stipulation there? Because you're not clarifying one versus the other. It's setting specific. Okay. There you go. That's all I was looking for, Brett. I thought it was pretty obvious, Sean. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sean's still mad that I have more die roll than he does. All right, carry he, on. He thinks he does. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. You might keep have going. more, but he thinks I have zero. All right, keep going. This fucking guy. Anyways, the problem lies in power gamers. Dun, dun, dun. I need to get that sound clip. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Who want to do it all. And be great at everything. You know anybody like that, Brett? I know a couple power gamers I've met over the years. Why, yes, yes, I have. We've all heard the cliche, jack of all trades, master of none. The key to that phrase is the latter half. I'm a musician. I play drums. Oh. Guitar, bass, sing, write songs. I thought there was a difference between drummer and percussionist. Don't. Don't get in an argument. <laughs> Neither you nor I could carry a tune in a paper sack with handles. So, okay, moving on. 
Hey, I love musicians, man. I wish I could play like one instrument just even close to being okay. Uh, but there's only so much time in the day or a lifetime to practice these trades. His words, not mine. Uh, the re- but I would agree with them. The result of being a multi-instrumentalist is I'm not very amazing at any one instrument, honestly. I don't even consider myself a guitarist, but I still front a band playing guitar and singing. Hey, Mr. Dawson, what's the name of your band? Yeah, that's the first thing that came to my mind. And if you need a name, hit us up. We've got all kinds that we'll throw your way. Yeah. All right. Greyhawk 5, something like that. Keep going. Yeah. Man, you are impatient. A little bit, just a little. Anywho, my point is these realistic checks and balances should be represented in a game through mechanics, not black and white restrictions. The barbarian warrior wants to learn how to throw a fireball. Let me rephrase that. The barbarian warrior wants to learn how to throw a fireball. Go for it. But it won't be as powerful as the wizard who's focused their entire career on launching magic missiles at the enemy. The mage wants to move silently past the guards. Sure thing, but they're probably not as nimble as the rogue who's spent years skulking around in shadows. The thief wants to do wants to don chainmail armor and carry a battle axe. Of course, but a stealth check is going to be tricky with all that clinking metal. Hope these ramblings are a positive contribution to the topic. Good gaming all. Mark, our official BS archivist. That's a good point, Mark. I do. Um, that's one of the nicer things I do. I do like with some of the um, er, newer versions of D and D and such is the lack of those things. Again, like I say, from a setting perspective, I have certain settings that when are when I run them, I like them in the old school OSRE type of flavor. But when I run my Avalon world, I am much looser with it, and the newer versions of D and D five E and such are much um, they they contribute more to that setting by allowing somebody to say, Hey, I use this. Oh, and I'm a cleric and I have a sword or I'm a thief and I can do this other thing too. So it's cool. So I, so I think that I would say I agree with Mark. Um, the way I would, the way I think about it is because that's why some of those classes have penalties when they do stuff. Right. Yes. You're going to, if you're a rogue goo or a thief and you're donning armor, that's, Actually, the armor check plays into stealth on its own with some of the modern games, right? Correct. Even if even if you're a fighter and you're trying to be sneaky, if you're down in big armor, you got an armor check with that. Absolutely. But I think to your other question, like, hey, do you still like clerics without, you know, can't use edge weapons? There were certain things that were black and white, and yes. that's what Mark is saying is don't go black and white. Use a mechanic that says, hey, you're a thief. You want to down heavy armor? Okay, but guess what? Armor check penalty of X applies to all the sneaky things you want to do, Mr. Thief. Yeah. Well, and he may, he's, maybe I missed it. He's probably talking about like the original AD&D. I don't know. Yep. Next one, I've got. Hey, thanks, Mark. Oh, I already said that. What? Ah, I'm trying to get places here. This guy, I don't know what Brett's hurry is. We've only got like an hour. I want to get to die roll and see what you actually have. Let's do die roll next. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Mo Tusano. This is he, his, this comment's like three weeks old. <laughs> is it? Well, I think it's poetic. Go ahead. It is a little bit. Okay, holidays. <laughs> yeah, I'm that far behind, says Mo. See? And uh, it, Mo, dude, thank you, though, for continuing to listen and uh, working through the backlog. So that's awesome, man. That's, yeah. It's cool that we've got listeners that stick it out and keep going. So yeah. 
Anyway, um, Mo continues with, just wanted to mention a long-running campaign I ran that was just called the AD&D 2nd Edition game that ran for over five years. Ah, that's I long. <clears throat> I know. It is long. I had a wide variety of players that ran a ton of different story arcs, but one thing that stayed the same, the game world. Each story arc happened 10 to 20 years after the last one, and the whole world changed over time. It was a collaborative world created by the players and I over the length of the campaign. One of the first things we established during the first session was the calendar. One of the most important things about the calendar is that it changed over time. The main way it changed is that it got filled with birthdays and holidays, um, which were sometimes uh, were one and the same. The characters free the human city from orc slavery, while the next generation of characters would celebrate Free Day on the anniversary of that event. When the characters... Um, uh, Chardon founded the first good line city. The founding of Chardonton was celebrated every generation after that. Till the, oh my God, Melodou and Swift's death. And remember, Mo's uh, French. He's I know. Got a French last name, so it's Melodou. I don't Melodieu. know. I don't I know if that's French. I don't know. I'm an American, German, Polish, and Welsh guy. I got none <laughs> of this. Anyway, uh, the day the music died, uh, we were university students. We sucked at naming things and so on. <laughs> I suck at pronouncing things. Anyway, every day of the year was tracked, and all these events were always important and a huge part of the immersion of the games. That's why I think it was able to keep it going for so long. Mo actually uh, mentioned, I believe, some of this stuff when we talked about um, uh, we talked about this type of thing before, and I think Mo has Mo's chimed in a little bit with bits and pieces, but there's more detail in this one, so thank you, Mo. And yeah, that's really, when you have something where a game, a world can run for a very long time. Having different campaigns within that world is really cool. I'm doing a similar thing. Not, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't think um, mine has been quite as immersive, it sounds like. My Avalon world has been going really strong for a number of years now. But we don't have – I don't have some of the things that he's talking about. I'm just starting to develop those things, and they're really cool. The players then start to say, hey, isn't this about the same time when this occurred? Hey, you know. Uh, wasn't that the time that the characters freed the Dwarven slaves? Yes. Oh, wow, that had an impact. And they can see that hitting the world and so forth. That's really cool. I like it. Good stuff, Mo. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thanks, Mo. Corey Wynn, supporter of the show. Newly supporter of the new supporter of the show. Hail purveyors of gaming and Brussels sprouts or boxed sets or whatever BS stands for. I like it. <laughs> I like Corey. He's got some snark. I appreciate it. Corey. Keep going, man. Corey here writing again about your class versus classless episode. Before I pontificate on that, I must give you major accolades for not only conducting a survey recently, but asking about improvements to your show and more importantly, acting upon it. The improvement from about episode 50 or so is amazing and I think you should have earned, have garnered enough XP to gain a level. Thank you, Corey. That's very nice. Thanks. I'm definitely going to take a feat now for sure. Excellent. Podcaster plus podcaster expert. Maybe, maybe it, I don't know. Maybe you'll, you will have advanced enough. We can go back to doing a live show. We'll have decent sound. <gasps> we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Keep going on. On, Keep to, going. The, on to the topic. Class versus classless. My opinion is that class systems get the edge only because of the ease to get new players into the hobby. Eh, I could see that. It's easier, in my opinion, to have a point of reference from pop culture, movies, etc., to point some new player to and say, see this character from this movie? That is like class X. 
Newcomers instantly get that if they want direction or what character to play, I think because they can relate to said TV show, book, movie, etc. The mechanics take a backseat because the player already has a vision of how his or her character would work. Now, I could see that going either way, honestly. Well, um, from the folks I've taught to play RPGs, most notably my kids or other kids and even some adults who've never played before, a lot of times I say, well, have you seen, <clears throat> I'll just pick Lord of the Rings. Have you seen the movie? Yeah. Did you like your character in there? Yeah, I really liked uh, I really liked Eowyn. Well, here's the type of character that would be just like Eowyn. It would look like this. Oh, cool. I'll do that. And, oh, it's a fighter. That makes sense. Or, hey, I really liked Aragorn. Well, think Ranger. Okay, cool. So some of that stuff does translate pretty well or well enough that you can keep, you have a concept in your head that you can roll with and uh, it, it, it does help. And if nothing else to help get into the game and uh, what you want the character to act, look and feel like. I think it's easier if that said model is, it can fit in a bucket. Yes. If very they, true. If they can't fit in a really clearly defined bucket, it may be a little more difficult. And then I would say point by would come into play. Because then you can really kind of hone in on, especially supers, right? Well, yeah, that's one of the reasons why champions is, I mean, the guys who play champions and love the hell out of it or those types of games where you're buying things with points is that you can model whatever the hell you want. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. you want to be Deadpool. Deadpool is not a fighter, thief, or a wizard. Right. <laughs> Deadpool's fucking Deadpool. So how are you going to make that? Takes time. Yeah. And points. Shooter, shooter guy. I wonder on the classless system PCs, I think that may be easier for players who already have gaming experience who are wishing to branch out into something new and challenging. Uh, it seems that classes works better, classless works better for those who have been gaming for a while and wish to expand their role-playing horizons. I do admit that classless is probably better to avoid cookie-cutter characters and the chance is higher to build a truly unique character, however new, however new players might be looking for some kind of direction as they may approach this from the game perspective. What do you guys think? You know, Corey, honestly, my perspective is that that's where even the point-by systems where they have the archetypes or concepts, packages that you can buy. Um, I remember some of the old uh, GURPS um, Splat books I have, like, hey, here's a fighter type of package from this realm, or an elven archer looks like this, or a dwarven miner looks like that, or someone from Alpha Centauri, or whatever the case is. Having those packages or archetypes type of thing can say, oh, this is a good starting point, but I want to tweak it, and there I have the ability to tweak it with my character build points, and I have something to start from to say, oh, I want to be like Han Solo, but I want to have a little bit of I want to have a little more force and and something in it, or I want to have a little bit more X within this game. And being a more open point system, you can adjust the uh, the the archetype or the or the mod, as it were. So I think it's going to come down to the game because I think that a lot of this is really tied to the the, the like the game you're gonna play. So, for example, if you want to play D anD D and you like D anD D for whatever reason that is. It inherently comes with classes. And maybe your preference for that game is because it has classes. It may not wholeheartedly, but it, they kind of maybe just fall in coincidentally, or maybe that's just your preference. Savage Worlds, GURPS, basic role-playing game, maybe where it's like 
Brett wants to run a GURPS game for a particular reason, and I'm willing to play in that game, there may be a certain expectation on that system. And because it's point by, so I don't know if the, I don't know if it's necessarily because I'm an experienced gamer or I want to take my, my, my play to a, a different level necessarily. I think it's just kind of like, Hey, do you want to try GURPS? Maybe it's higher. Maybe it's the tech level that's involved. Maybe it's the points and you can kind of pick and choose whatever you want. Maybe it's the lethality of the game. Well, tell you one of the things that he says there is in the end, it may boil down to where your DM GM is running and what you and your friends want. If True. I am playing a point by game, and Sean says, "You know what? We're playing Savage Rules. I'm going to go fucking ballistic and do whatever I want." And Chris says, "You know what? I just want to play a ship captain because it's a it's a sci fi game." I say, "Oh, here's a template for you. Oh, thank you. Boom. I I really I, I like the concept of a ship captain. I've never played this before. Give me what you got. I don't really have time or the desire to delve into the rule system." And Kevin may be like, "You know what? I would like a guy who's sort of um sort of a a badass. You know." fighter guy, but I want to be able to tweak it. Can I, yeah, here, take this template and rock and roll with it. And then you can change it, add, delete. And then Phil is more like more like Sean and doesn't want to do anything standard or templatized and totally builds everything from scratch. So a game like that does allow, in my opinion, you to have all of those options available. You can have classes, as it, as it were, archetypes, whatever, and somebody like, you know, in that, in my instance, uh, you know, Phil and Sean could do whatever they want. All right. Continuing on. Also in the day of Google search and forums and such is the point build archetype profession fill in the blank synonymous term better suited to a class or is this just semantics? So you just touched on that, Brett. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit, it can be semantics to those, if you're not talking about the game system in general, but if you're talking about a specific game, classes can, <clears throat> excuse me, I believe a class, when you say a class thing has a specific progression path, that's kind of predetermined, if you will. Um, you may have different points that you can get different feats or skills or different things you want to do. But to pick on D&D again, if you're a fighter and you're a 10th level fighter, you're going to look approximately like this box. Um, a barbarian looks like this other box. Where if you are a equivalent 10th level barbarian fighter in a GURPS game, it looks a hell of a lot different. Savage Worlds looks even more different because of the freewheeling, if you will, uh, approach to some of the skills and powers and such. So I, I think it is, I think it is synonymous and um, it may, it may be kind of a semantics thing, but class usually has a certain connotation to say, Oh, you mean like D and D if nothing else. And then the other phrases mean, Oh, you mean like something that's not D and D. I like classless for the free reign, but in my experience, classless has been better for those who have already played games with classes. Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, it's hard for me to kind of, um, rebuke that just simply because we've, I've been playing for a while. So I don't know. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't sat down with a new player and said, Hey, let's play GURPS. You know, I don't know. Would you, would you start a new player with like GURPS, Brett? No, I would not. Why? Is it because of what? I don't like GURPS that much. Well, seriously. No, but, um, okay. So basic role-playing game. Um, I wouldn't see, I played Call of Cthulhu with brand new players, which is BRP. Um, and that hasn't worked that bad because BRP for, uh, Call of Cthulhu and other things does have archetypes and you could be a 
librarian can look like this. Oh, here's a package of what a big game hunter looks like. Here's a package of what a gangster See, looks I like. See, I think if you start incorporating archetypes in a point-based system, then you might as well – it's like class. It absolutely is like class. Yeah. Absolutely, that's, that's what I'm getting at. Okay. I do think that it, it is kind of interesting when – I remember my development through gaming when I was looking at classless systems as kind of the rage against the class machine type thing. Like, I want to be able to make a guy – that's like Gandalf, who's got a long sword and is just proficient as something else. And at the time, unless I hacked D and D, we went, "Oh, well, yeah, I'll use the hero system um, that Champions is based off, or I'll, or I'll play GURPS, or I'll play Rollmaster, which had some of those hacks that would normally have to, you know, thrust into a D and D game. Kind of had them already. So you know what I called it, Brett? What'd you call it? Multiclassing. Multiclassing. Fighter, magic user, thief. Hells yeah. Hells yeah. Moving on, um, or, or continuing on. The wild card in this discussion is the current state of gaming. So many systems, so little time. In the end, it may boil down to what your GM DM is running and what you and your friends want. What do you guys think? Yeah, and I, I agree with them. It, sometimes it just depends on the person that's quote unquote behind the screen. Absolutely. See, and what you've got time for. See you at GaryCon. I'll be there all four days. Sweet. We will have to hunt down Corey. Oh, I'm sure we'll run into each other. Right, Corey? Awesome. Thanks for writing in, man. Very cool. And and supporting the show. Oh, yeah, that's right. Thank you, Corey. Thank you very much. Next up, we've got Mike, Mike Walsh. He emails us and says, hey, guys, Mike Walsh here again. A few months ago, I had this series of consecutive questions and comments about fate, so I'm just going to uh, go by Fateful Mike from now on. Fateful Mike. Fateful Mike. Note to self. Mike, <laughs> so, Fateful Mike Walsh. Exactly. So I wanted to flip the script on you guys for a bit. Wanted to know if you ever tried or heard of a game called Blue Planet. No. No. <laughs> Sorry. That was, not as, that was not as interesting as it could have been. Let's cut to the chase. It's a yes or no question. <laughs> it's had a few versions uh, in the past, but I find it unique, and that's the only hard sci-fi RPG I've found that focuses on planetary conservation with environmental issues as well as worlds of adventure. In a nutshell, Earth has gone through a planet-wide epidemic that prevents food from being grown. In lieu of starving to death, scientists send large ships across space holding a fraction of the world's population through a type of alien space gate to another world that can sustain human life. After the ship goes through the portal, the gate shuts off and doesn't open for 30-something years. When it opens again, Earth sends an, an exploration vessel to find the first ship and finds the ship did not only make it to the new Earth known as Poseidon, since it's covered in over 90% water, Blue Planet, uh, but began a thriving civilization thinking they were stranded and all forgotten about. Now, not only dealing with a new world to explore, but quote-unquote natives that hate you for being left behind, alien species and uplifted water-based Creatures such as orca, whales, dolphins, and other intelligent animal creatures. You have a unique combo of Waterworld meets, meets Eclipse phase with being, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, with the beginning stories that can start under, uh, excuse me, start in a Fifth Element-esque Judge Dread overpopulated Earth. Woo! God, man. It's, just, it's not a tongue twister. I'll tell you, yeah, I just, <laughs> I, I think what's bugging me is I've, I remember seeing the Blue Planet book now. You have? Yeah, I think I, I got to take a look and see if it's the same one. I'll look this up at some point, but this is becoming familiar to me. All right. Um, for people looking for something different, check out Blue, Pla- Blue Planet Revised Edition. Great shows as always. Keep up the great work. And yes, Thacko equals head explosions. Fateful Mike. I like Mike already. Yeah. 
<laughs> Apparently, Brett is not meant to read anything over two sentences. No, I haven't heard of it. Sounds interesting. Sounds like a cool setting. Sounds like it doesn't even have to be in Fade, honestly. No, it's not. But BluePlanet.com. Now, Brett. Oh, yes. Here it is. Here it is. I'm seeing this. Yes. So have you seen it? or you, I know you're seeing it now. Yes, I have seen it in the past. Okay. This was the how first did, version was 97 did, how, was when I saw it. I saw it at a game store. 97? Yeah. Wow, that's old. Fate? No, this isn't Fate. This is not Fate at all. Blue Planet is not Fate. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe I maybe I lumped that in with this. You did. You lumped it in. Comment. Sorry. Sorry, Mike. That's me. Oh, man. I thought, anyway. I thought he was lumping them together. Okay. He's not. I see. Interesting. Fateful Mike. Oh, hey, let's get into the topic. Let's do it. What are we talking about this week, Brett? I want to talk about investigation-focused RPGs. What? What makes, what, ma- what makes them a little bit different from other RPGs? Um, you know, kind of, I've talked about this before. Well, hold on a with- second. So RPGs, right? Oh, so yes. not, inve- thank you, but not investigative sessions or campaigns or both. We're going to get into it. Let's okay. Oh, I want to start with RPGs get and we'll see where myself. we go from there. Oh, okay. So one of the pieces, and you've kind of, you're kind of bringing it up here, is this whole don't you investigate stuff in every game in some way or another. Um, Dungeons. What's that? Dungeon. Dungeon. I always yeah. investigate the dungeon. There's, a gold, there's gold somewhere down here. So <clears throat> when I um, – the reason this has been on my mind is because I'm looking to – after my current D and D game wraps up with my uh, my gaming crew up in my hometown, I'm looking to pull out um, the best gaming group in the all the best gaming group all the land. Yes, they should, you should get them a shirt that says "Best Game Member of Best Gaming Group in All the Land." In all the land. In all the land. That's not a bad idea. Anyway, <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, was, I was talking to the team and uh, the group, and I were saying, "Hey, you know what? I really like to play something a little more investigative." And I went, "Ah, yes, mm, nodded sagely at each other, saying that sounds good." <laughs> and I walked away, going, "I know what I, I can I, see I them what, doing that too. I know uh, what we yes. mean. I know what we mean because we've been doing this for like twenty plus years. So I know what they mean. We got the Vulcan mind thing going. Yeah, I know what you're talking well, about. Well, right, because they thought, are no, the ultimate gaming group, of course, uh, in all the land, in all the land, <laughs> but." <laughs> Anyway, I thought no one else outside of this little coven of folks right now understood that conversation, you know. And I remember talking with you about different things, um, even about like espionage games and so forth. And basically when I look at a game, an RPG that's investigation focused, I'm thinking the core activity of that game is investigation. And of course, Gumshoe comes to mind because that that and we're going to get into that next episode kind of more of a deeper dive in the system. <clears throat> but that game's core mechanic is pulling, finding clues, interpreting the clues, and taking action upon those clues. Was it finding the clues necessarily in that system? Absolutely. Oh, I thought it was more like you show up, you get the clues. We'll talk about that in more detail. All but right. the point is there's a, there's a mechanic in an investigative-focused RPG. The mechanics support the core activity, which is finding and interpreting or dealing with the clues. You may end up with, you know, you might be up to your ass in clues or you might have a hard time finding them or whatever. <clears throat> but to me, a, an RPG that's really focusing on investigation-solving mysteries, if you will, um, the mechanics of that system will support it. And to me, it's the core activity that you're expecting to do. If you're going to play 
um, even Knights Black Agents, which is a gumshoe-based system, there's going to be some action in it. But because it is a gumshoe system, the main thrust of that game is finding stuff out, investigating a mystery, and figuring out what to do with the information that you find. But you can't do that in D&D. No, you can't. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. Well, that's what I'm trying to say is like you, you seem to put a pretty big amount of weight into the gumshoe system, which is really what it's designed to do. Exactly. So the mechanics are there to support that core activity. In my opinion, when I look at games like um, even Call of Cthulhu, or, and I may get stoned as a heretic for that, but D&D, yes, you can. I run um, mystery games. I've run Intrigue and so forth where you're digging through stuff with D&D. But um, especially earlier versions of D&D, that's not a core mechanic for the game. It's but, at least but, not but, a core but, activity. But you can do it. You're just being a dick because but of the you last can't. episode. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't. Of course you can. Oh, okay, okay, can. okay. Of course, yeah, right. I can, use, I can use D&D to play Star Frontiers if I want. Well, right. You can do whatever you want, you right, Sean? Whatever, yeah, you can do whatever the hell you, you want with any. In that game, Sean. <laughs> you can do whatever the hell you want in any game. Exactly. But then you're not playing the game, as we know, because <laughs> system matters, as I've learned from Sean. Oh, Except sh- for now, apparently. <laughs> I think we should bring that up at every single episode. Every episode, yeah. <laughs> we'll become the assholes that always talk about system matters. Um, so, to Sean's point, though, can you do it? In D and D, yes, I've done it. I think everybody does it. Even the basic role playing system by Call of Cthulhu, it's um, the Call of Cthulhu one almost has more of a feeling of yes, you're investigating the uh, Cthulhu mythos and and so forth. And, but the sanity component of Call of Cthulhu is one of the more upfront in your face type of mechanics of that system. A lot of things are all geared around sanity and uh, magic and so forth in there. <clears throat> But I really think there's something really cool to me about games that are based on investigation. Now, again, there's there's other systems out there other than Gumshoe. We'll talk about Gumshoe in more, more in detail later. But when I think an RPG that is focused on that, I think about that one first and foremost. The other ones that come to mind, and I have not delved into these as deeply as Sean has, but Sean, I think about some of the espionage games, the top secret spy type of games when it comes to investigation, because I think even as, you know, crazy over the top as James Bond is and so forth in some of the older movies, there it's still a lot about pulling this pulling the information together and figuring out what's going on. Yeah, I think I think there's a little bit of it. I mean, yes, yes, of course there is, but I think it's how it's presented in the game that may differ from one thing to the next. And I think that's kind of what you're alluding to, Brett. Yeah. Right. So if you play D and D, it's going to be different than if you're playing Gumshoe. If you're, it's different if you're playing Spycraft or whatever. Correct. Now, when you've you've played Top Secret, hell, a lot more than I have, and other and other espionage type game systems. Um, even if you were, how do I do this? So I think part of the mechanics supporting it. Even if we say, okay, I, I can't for life of me think of another RPG. I'm positive there are. Um, some other espionage ones out there. There's others that have that as the core activity of the game is digging through clues. I just, I cannot think of them offhand. So some listener out there is going to tell me, Brett, you dumbass, what about these five games? I'm sure they're out there. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Now, one of the key parts of it to me though, is that if it isn't, Gumshoe rewards you as a mechanic through the game system. Um, 
for finding stuff. Hey, you now have clues. You are up to your ass in clues. You can figure stuff out. D&D, generally speaking, at least as most people interpret Dungeons & Dragons, doesn't necessarily reward you for finding clues. Right? By piecing together the mystery and saying, oh, it was Old Man Withers all along, that's really not a, it's not a core piece, at least in my understanding, at least to how most people look at D&D. It's not a core piece of it. So, Sean, if I were going to run <clears throat> a D&D game for you and it was very mystery, un- uh, unraveling, tearing into components, and there's going to be a lot more focus to me on non-combat stuff, right? There's going to be more skill checks on finding things, searching, tearing stuff into it, <clears throat> finding, putting together the clues. Would you anticipate then that I should change how you're rewarded in my D&D game? Uh, Instead of kill monsters and take their stuff for XP? You could certainly do that. There's an, and, and let's face it. I mean, you're going to get folks that are saying, well, if you only play D&D and you're only going to award based on how many monsters you kill and how much gold you have, that may be AD&D and some of the older versions, but there's plenty of people that'll say, you should reward based on story elements or overcoming obstacles. Well, what, 5e has that built into it. It talks about that in the DMG. Right. So um, I don't know if you would you would need to necessarily, but yeah, I, I guess you could. I don't think there's anything saying that you can't. And actually, if that's the premise of the campaign that you're going to run, well, why not? Sure. I, I think that just the... The tougher thing, see, so I think we you touched on it originally where D&D, a lot of these RPGs are kind of discovery and investigative in some kind of aspect or another because it's kind of you're thrown a particular plot and there's going to be something you don't know and you try to unveil or you come across something. So I think some are in more inherently investigative versus some are more kind of discovery-ish. Like kind of that, that's how I role play, right? Kind of like, hey, what's going to happen next? Correct. Right? So I think there is kind of a line there where it may blur in some sessions or some campaigns more than others. Yes. Okay. I can see that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Where I was, where I was getting to, I guess, was the, if you, <clears throat> if I'm going to reward players in, um, a Savage Worlds game or a D&D game or, or a Fate game or whatever. And the the gig is <clears throat> you're piecing together a mystery, you know, Sherlock Holmesy style or or um, you're digging through some kind of a Cold War spy trying to find the mole type of thing. Regardless of the system I use, I want to make sure that the players are rewarded for – I guess staying focused on the type of game that we're running in that case. If that's the gig, I want to be able to communicate to the group up front saying, hey, this is going to be an intrigue-based D&D game in Brett's Avalon world, and you're going to be playing in it, and you're going to be unraveling different mysteries, and you're going to be handed clues probably here and there. If you pay attention and you piece all those clues together, you can probably find out the big reveal or the big story or the big plot or whatever's going on. So to that... If I don't give the players an opportunity to advance, especially in games like D&D, which are very Pavlovian in a way, right? You want to level ding. You want to get something. I think it's important then that I tell the players that my the way I'm going to be rewarding XP to make sure that you guys get it, the way I'm going to be rewarding you with a level bump or whatever that happens to be, is when you have achieved, when you've, you know, after the session, 
you you picked up the 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 core clues out of these areas or wow you really you you pulled together a great amount of stuff it was really good role playing you guys used your skills really effectively to put stuff together so therefore you get to advance a level i think that story beat based experience handout is more appropriate in that type of focused rpg than it is in a uh, dungeon crawl mm, yeah okay sure okay I just want to. I just want to throw it out. There. I, it feels right to me, but I wasn't sure what you'd think about it. Honestly, if you thought that made sense. No, I think. It, I, I think it makes sense. I think that. Um, I mean, how do you? How do you tell your group? Like, I think you're setting the premise of the campaign and the game that you're wanting to run, and then you're trying to set the reward system based on that game that you're trying to run. So, do you say? Hey, just so you know, if you come across clues, you're going to get a bonus in XP. See, that's where when I start, again, a bit of the system component again, just to stick with our bringing it up in every episode piece, is that when I think about it, um, Call of Cthulhu, uh, Gumshoe, and that type of game, uh, it's inherent in the system that when you do certain things and you find information, the story advances. So it's kind of its own reward. There's other mechanisms within the game, but that's, excuse me, how you get from point A to point B through that game is pulling that stuff together. Um, And I think, how do I, in D&D, even if I don't come down to a, look, I'm going to give you five experience points for every clue you find, right? If I don't want to do that, I don't want to get that granular with it. I think it's more important to say, as you're advancing through this thing, um, pulling clues together, figuring out what to do, using your skills appropriately, um, it, it, <clears throat> and not basically not relying on your sword every time. I mean, you can't just kill all the guards and loot the room and find stuff. Sometimes you have to talk to people and, and so on to to dig to dig out the information. Um, well, I mean, you could base it on an encounter. You could do yes, like good an, point. You know, you could you could set a. I mean, if you want to get into the 3.0, you could get into an EL, like an well, encounter level. Well, 5e has a challenge rating, so everything is. I mean, your D&D game is a challenge rating. I could say getting this um, this information out of, you know, Lord whomever is right. this challenge rating. And if you want to get further than that, the challenge rating is even higher. And I could award XP that way. You could do that, or you could just arbitrarily say, this is the type of game I'm running. and the way I'm going to award XP is going to be very arbitrary. It's not going to have any, any methodology behind it. So it's not going to be tied to killing monsters and stealing their stuff and getting gold. You could just say, if you guys do a really good job, whatever that means for the session, and it's going to be an investigative kind of mystery ish game. Then you, then you set that. So then they can say, yeah, that's what, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Then they, then you, then they'll know it's not imperative that I kill everything that I see. Correct. Even though I think whatever reason people get into that mode, I don't know. It drives me crazy. Yeah, they do. <laughs> you got to kill guess, them. Why? So, um, I guess instead of, instead of having it be a capricious whim of the DM based on whatnot, it's kind of, are you advancing? Are you moving? I have played games where the players were stuck, you know, because no they, clue. If either they didn't find it or they kind of sat and weren't quite sure what to do. And then finally at the end of the session, like, oh my God, we should have gone left instead of right. Let's go back and re-swizzle this. And they, they kind of put the pieces back together. 
they get you know I give level bumps um, when I run D and D at the right timing. Yeah, I look at I look at the plot, how things are advancing. Oh, they should. Yep, that was good enough. You can get to here, uh, and my group is very used to that at this point. Sure, we don't we don't track XP, but. Um, so when I ran my, uh, my murder city game, which is a, a sci-fi game set on earth many years in the future, I was using the world of darkness, the new world of darkness, uh, system behind it. And it was okay. I mean, it had all the right, <clears throat> I don't mind the die pool mechanic, you know, in the rest of the combat and everything worked pretty well, but I wasn't fond of the fact that it was very procedural. It was a police procedural type of game. And I found certain components of the World of Darkness system. I'm like, God damn, I kind of have to, okay, uh, use this type of skill to pull that in. Well, shit, you didn't find it. In the back of my head, I kept thinking, I'm running into the uh, the gumshoe problem. <laughs> I'm running into the thing where people aren't finding clues. And the system- That's not is, the gumshoe problem. It's the opposite. Well, it's the yeah, that's the gumshoe solution. Excuse yes. Me. That's the thing that gumshoe's trying to fix. Right. And then I thought about it. I'm like, well, you know, even if that wasn't- even if I didn't like Gumshoe, is there a police procedural game out there? Of course, I went to, uh, hey, there's Mutant City Blues, which happens to be by Robin Laws, which is a Gumshoe police procedural type of game. I'm like, well, duh, Brett, you dumb shit. Why didn't you pull that system out at the beginning? Right. Because guess what? The mechanics are right there, and it just has everything in it. But you can do <clears throat> it. We can in- do anything with anything, Sean. <laughs> you can do it in other systems, Brett. Yes, he, you can. He, and I he, think... <laughs> 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 there's reasons there's reasons to want to, right? Is that if you like D&D and your friends really like it and you're having a hell of a good time playing whatever variation of that or you really like Pathfinder, you're loving the fuck out of it and that's the game you want to play, you're like, hey, I think we could do an investigation game. We could do a really cool spy game with this. Yes, yes, you can. Yes, but you have to... There's work involved. Facilitate it properly. Correct. Correct. Yes. No skill check if... You know, if skill check is going to fail and lock up the plot, give them the damn clue, no skill check. Boom. Problem fixed. Yes. You go in and search the room, the big red herring is there, smack him in the face with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think in a lot of games that aren't, that don't have the focus on solving mysteries, at least the ones that I've played, there's... <clears throat> Things to discover, as you said, discovery and investigation are, are very, very similar, perhaps just different sides of the same coin. But when you're discovering something like, oh, even in Dungeon Crawl Classics, you're trying to figure out what the fucked up weird trap is that rips your eyeballs out of your head or whatever happens. Okay, um, it's this goofy thing. You're trying to solve it for that space. It's a very <clears throat> specific thing. Like, oh, I'm in a room and my thief is trying to figure out how to get out. Oh, the door's locked. How do I do it? Is it trapped? Is it not? That's investigation, discovery, figure, figure, figure. Spies breaking into a place, similar type of thing. Um, Again, I'm going to D&D because that's the most common denominator in in gaming, basically. But if you take it and say the whole storyline, everything about this is Sherlock Holmes figuring out who Moriarty is and ending up, you know, Rock and Black Falls or whatever. I mean, going through the entire progression of putting all the clues together, figuring out every component, saying, oh, my God, Strahd's a fucking vampire. Holy shit, you know. Oh, my God, it's this thing. Here's the big reveal. It's the cultists, and they're trying to bring Great Cthulhu out. Oh, my God, I didn't know that. Um, 
<clears throat> doing that, I think this is what we talked about before with communication is that if you really want to do that with any system that's not where that's not the core activity, there's more work involved. I guess, God, I'm fucking babbling, dude, but that's where I'm going. <laughs> is that there's a lot more work involved because the players are going to want to be rewarded. If I was playing with you and you said, hey, we're going to run this. And it was like five sessions in, and be like, so do we get a level bump? You're like, well, you didn't kill enough monsters. I'm like, there's no fucking monsters to kill, dude. I had to talk to 20 people. What do you mean I don't get any experience points? Yeah. So I think if you're not you so if you're not using the system that facilitates the type of play you want, it is gonna take some damn work. It will. And you can do it, <clears throat> but yes, it'll take some work. It's not what it's built for, but you can you can make it work. Yes. Now, on there's some I think doing that, having an investigative focused RPG, <clears throat> your campaign arc or whatever it is, is honestly not as much work as it would take to beat some of the game systems into a different type of genre. I think it actually because the discovery and investigation are the same sides, the same coin, two sides, excuse me, the same coin. I think it it's an easier cross. Uh, I would need a, what? Huh? They're <laughs> so, on the same two sides of the same coin. What? Huh? So what, what I'm saying? <laughs> oh my God, I'm not doing well at all. Um, no, you're fine, dude. It's all no, no, good. No, what, what I'm trying to say is that if I were to do, if I were to say, hey, we're going to investigate this, um, who murdered the count? What game are we playing? D and D. We're going to play D and D. We're going right. to play a game in Forgotten Realms. We want to figure out who killed. The King of Cormier. Okay. okay, great. Great. You're going to figure that out. Yeah. Um, you're like, okay, there'll be some <clears throat> D&D style combat, no, most likely, some yeah. magic and shit going on. But knowing that the plot is focused on pulling clues together, you're like, oh, cool. I'll start gathering stuff and making notes and trying to piece things together. It's not the simple go through the dungeon, find the Demulich, kill the fucking Demulich. Yeah, I got all the treasure. Move on to the next dungeon. I concur. <clears throat> so I think... Um, I believe that having any system um, forcing that type of a storyline behind it or that type of a plotline, pr- probably a better phrase, isn't as much work as saying, hey, I'm going to take my basic D&D game and I'm going to turn it into a superhero game because I want to use this mechanic to do something. I mean, that's an extreme example, but I think – the nature of it, most RPGs that I've played, it doesn't take a ton of work to uh, beat them into shape. No, I don't. I don't. I mean, it depends on the system and what you're trying to achieve. I think that as a D, like your example with a D and D game, I don't think it'll take a ton to beat it into shape. First of all, it's setting expectations with your players and what the game is going to entail. Absolutely, and kind of what. The reward system is going to be so you can take out the murder hobo out of it. And then it's going to be um, how are you going to move things along knowing that if there's a, a typically a, a skill check involved with searching and finding something, incorporating something that doesn't involve that. And that could just be, well, they're in the room where the thing is, they get the thing. I mean, in, in in all fairness, so this system matters kind of debate that may come up when I make jabs at it is something where you, you know, you're going to modify a game typically anyway, unless there is like a, unless there is a type of gumshoe that's set in 
fantasy role play, you're going to have to kind of mix it up anyway, right? Yeah. Right? I mean, all the gumshoe from Pelgren, there isn't any damn gumshoe in fantasy. There's sci-fi. There's sci-fi action action stars. stars. Right. But that's not... That's not fantasy. So I think even if you took D&D and you modded it or you took Gumshoe and modded it, that's, you're still going to have to mod it. The cool thing for me, though, is that with – so again, an investigation-focused RPG, we talked about you know, it has to be the core activity. You want mechanics to support it. An investigation-focused plot line, I think, is honestly one of the more entertaining types of plot lines to me that I want to be involved in and that when I run those and I run them well – the players I run them with, like, oh, I re- they care more about it. Um, it is fun to go through and um, beat up the bad guy, you know, put lock him up, put him in jail, <clears throat> you know, save the princess, what have you, or break into something and steal it. But that investigation focus of like, hey, something didn't make sense here. How come this was there? You know, why were why was there this one wonky triangular shaped silver piece? In this hoard of gold, we found what. What is that about? And having small things build upon each other and saying, "Oh wow, all these clues come together." That makes a more interesting um, storyline for me and my players, regardless of the game system I'm using. And I think it's because you don't really have to um, beat the the system into that that shape that hard. Because <clears throat> if I, again, if I'm playing D anD D and I want to be finding who killed the king of Cormier, and you guys are going through it. And you, Phil, Chris, and Kevin, and you know uh, Austin, everybody's we're, we're gaming, we're having a good time, and I can break it up and have enough of the traditional D and D mechanic in there, right? Where you're ambushed by orcs on the way because the bad guy thinks you're getting too close, he sends a bunch of orc, you know, ruffians after you to rough you up, kill you, whatever. Oh, cool! I get to use this cool D and D combat system and the magic and all the powers that go in with that. Great, and it feeds into that plot. Well, so I think there's a lot of modern day fantasy role play like Pathfinder and Paizo and, and Watsi and D and D where the plot points are. So the mystery or the investigation piece moves the adventure from one scene to the next. Correct. Yes. But it, it may not be a sit down and you know, where the, so it may not be like a Call of Cthulhu, Trail of Cthulhu, Mutant City Blues, um, Esoteris, where you're throwing clues out all the time, but there's going to be ones that are there. And frankly, they're going to move. I mean, even just the Rise of the Rune Lords, who I know the Sneeze has run, and I have run as well for a few modules. There is an overarching plot, but it's not. You kind of have to discover it. So the discovery piece of it is how did, oh my gosh, you run into this. How does that move you from one, from that to the next kind of thing you do? Yeah. And there's clues, but you, and the clues may be a, a successful search check, or there may be another thing that comes up that somebody just gets thrown and, oh, and they put two and two together and they go to the next kind of thing. And that next thing is a combat. Fine. But it's not a dungeon delve, right? It's not you're going into the castle and you're exploring, you explore some more and you kick open the door and you explore and you kill something and you get the gold and you go and explore some more and you kick open, you know, and then you kill something. There's no mystery there. 
<clears throat> not really. No, you know that there's there's an orc chieftain somewhere in here, and I'm gonna find that son of a bitch. And room, kill him, you know, room with an orc and a pie. <clears throat> orc and pie. Yes. Orc and pie. So, <clears throat> I think the uh, the important part, if again, if you don't have a system that's got the mechanics to support it or help you figure it out. Even Call of Cthulhu um, in the rule system helps you figure out what to do in a way. Like, hey, I failed the skill and I didn't find the clue. What do I do? I've not read Rise of the Rune Lords, but my assumption whenever I read uh, plot lines like that or longer, longer tailed mysteries where you're put, putting things together so you can tell this cool story at the end, this can be this great thing, is that one of the key pieces that game masters have to remember is that if they don't get the clue – Eventually, the game will stop. It'll stop dead. So you have to get creative. If they're, if the system itself doesn't help you give them the clue, you're going to have to find a way, kind of pull the hammer out and bang that clue in where it needs to go, make sure they get a hold of it. And um, from a player's perspective, sometimes they get into turtling where they don't, where they're like, I can't find anything. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do because they don't have enough clues or they don't know how to deal with them. So for me, with one of the things I found with um, uh, 5e D&D is that search and so forth is the skill that helps you find data, but investigation is a skill in 5e. I use that as the opportunity for the players to say, I got five pieces of data. We as players can't figure out what this is. Brett, my guy knows a lot. Yeah, give me an investigation role, DCX, and then I can kind of deus ex machina, tell them, hey, your character has put X, Y, and Z together and you now, and you have a good idea to go to the right instead of to the left. So again, though, you have to, that's the only really tricky part with them. And I find that some games I've run in the past or I've played in most like m- more so in the past, like, God, this is just, it just sucks. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Sometimes you got to throw it at the player. You, you got to throw them right at their freaking head. And there's no re- and there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean the no. players suck. It no. doesn't mean you know it's that it doesn't mean that they're dumb or they don't get it. It's it doesn't have anything to do with it. it for whatever reason, it's and it's some of this is abstract, right? So trying to like we think it's the greatest plot point in the world. Like this will be awesome. And sometimes they will unveil it, and sometimes they won't. And when they don't, and it's going to come to a screeching halt. Man, you got to you got to you got to throw in something that's going to smack them right in the face. Yes. And I don't think that's bad. No, it's not necessarily bad at all. And your players will certainly appreciate it. I had uh, one of my favorite times. I had this uh, document. There was this book. Lenny's character was playing a Vampire Dark Ages game. He finds his tome. This tome has essentially all the fucking answers, <clears throat> all the right clues, all the right stuff. All needs to be is deciphered, deciphered, poured over by the characters. They'll figure out all this really cool stuff. What does Lenny do? He looks at me and goes, I burn it. I'm like, <laughs> What? <laughs> he goes, yeah, my character, Andre, hates, you know, he has a thing against the printed word because he sees it as this bad thing. And I mean, it was all, it was, it was in his backstory. Why I let him of all characters find this thing. He's like, so this is written in the common tongue. So any poor schmuck could read it. Well, yeah, mm, I burned that. That's not good. Dude, you Commoner, commoners shouldn't have access pull, to that data. Pull, <laughs> GM, pull, Look, pull, pull GM card doesn't, it doesn't light for some reason. It's really odd. So <laughs> I was shocked. He burdened the goddamn book on me. But what did I do? I had to find another way to get the bloody data out there well, because it was really important stuff. Somebody was, somebody wrote that shit. Uh, me. It was all, it was my, oh, I'm sorry. You mean the book? Sorry. No, the, the plot was Brett's fault that I put everything in one in one area. That was just a dumb idea. Um, so anyway, 
clues need to have multiple avenues is where I'm going for. Um, whether as the game master, make sure that if you have a core clue that everyone needs to have, make sure that they can find it either by hook or by crook. There's a way that they can get hold. They may not know what the fuck to do with it for like two, three, four, five sessions, but they need to have had the data. The other piece as a player is that I have found that my investigative focus games, if I'm not really clear up front on expectations, and one of the expectations I like to drive home is say, you're going to want to take good notes because you're going to find stuff in session one that may be of important use in session five. And the group goes, oh, good point. So people start taking better notes. People pay better attention when they find stuff like, oh, this seems important. They make sure two, three different people at the table have that included in their notes. So that way, if Kevin can't make it or Zave's out sick, JR at least has it. So, excuse me, that's something that as a player's perspective, if you know that this is the type of game that you're going to get into and that's what you're playing, you really need to pay attention. And if you don't, you know, it's if you don't pay attention, it's going to kill you. Uh, You'll be bored. You won't be able to figure out what's going on. And it's also a good opportunity for you to step in or up in this case and say, hey, we've been trying to figure out this thing for a long time. Look at the Game Master. Is there any mechanical way? Is there a kind of rule investigation skill? I'm looking at this. Can I make a history check to see if I can decipher this? Utilize those things to um, to kind of help give the Game Master other avenues to dump the clue on you is where I'm going. And you have gone. I know I did. God, right. I, I went round and round, dude. Do you have anything you want to add? No. I talked. Oh, goddamn time. Nope, I'm sorry. Nope. Nothing to add. Nothing to add. Got to get the die roll. All right. Die roll it is. Let us know uh, if you've run investigative games, like more investigative versus discovery, and how you've done that with something other than like a gumshoe system that facilitates it. Email us at gamingandbs at gmail.com. And if Sounds you, good. Yeah. Let's get into die roll. Let's do it. Die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery we want to bring to your attention. Brett thinks I have zero. He's got one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, I went big. We'll see what happens. And it, none of it, none of it has to do with like Upper Peninsula hunting. No, this none, is all this is all like, legitimate geek stuff. Man. Yeah, that's great, man. Good, good job, Brett. <laughs> like I said, this has happened uh, twice in uh, seventy some episodes, so I'm just all pleased with my win here. <laughs> so the. <laughs> The first one I've got. I got three. I know you do. Oh, you know you don't. You don't know that. I didn't know you had anything. That's a surprise. So there are um, the the ghost the Ghostbusters reboot. Uh, the thing that made me think about this is uh, Carl Kiesler with his awesome Ghostbusters Savage Worlds games and the stuff he's been putting out. There's a I got a link in the show notes to uh, some five new um, picks that they've released from the show. It looks pretty damn cool. An all women. Um, Ghostbuster crew. They got Chris Hemsworth as the secretary. It looks. It looks like it's going to be fun. I really. I like the Ghostbusters uh, franchise. I want to see it. So it'll be fun. The other one I got was uh, Pandemic and Cthulhu oh, Geek boy. and Sundry. They've got uh, the Pandemic board game has Reign of Cthulhu uh, coming this summer. There's a link in the show notes. Take a look at that. So just a comment on that. People have brought it up. You know, Mister Rigsby is like, "Hey, did you guys see this?" Cthulhu's all over it. So, and Sean's response was fucking Monopoly. So my fear, <laughs> my fear is that the pan, the folks that that are the pandemic, end up just milking the shit out of that license to whatever they can. You mean like Steve Jackson has with Munchkin? 
Hey man, you said it, not me. <laughs> love you. Hey, love you, Steve. Hi, Steve. Next one I have is from Bruce Cunnington, uh, one of our G plus folks and a follower of the show, as we already know. Um, now I have found out where the misdirected Mark guys dump all the goddamn copper pieces they get in their social media depository. I've got a link out there. There were about, <clears throat> what was it? 200 and some odd thousand copper coins found in a Han dynasty tomb. It's some obscene volume of, uh, of copper coins found in this tomb. There were 2 million copper coins weighing one, excuse me, weighing 10 tons were found inside this 2000 year old tomb. It just, uh, the whole, the whole joke of, yeah, you, you the dragon's lair. Oh, there's 5,000 copper pieces. Yeah. I take those. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Hey, so I got an, I got an idea for the misdirected Mark guys. You ready for yeah. this? They ready? should do a show every day. If they got all these damn copper coins and whatever, that's just pouring out of a wall or whatever it is. And they're only doing a show once a week. They're doing it wrong. Oh. They, they should be doing it every day so they can collect all those coins and retire. And Ooh. if they don't retire, they could fly to Wisconsin or whatever and come to a con. Yeah, not bad spend idea. Spend a bunch of money because it's obviously just whenever they do a show, it comes out of the wall or like materializes, right? There we go. Okay. Dude, see, now I'm thinking. Now you're thinking. Right? Good. <laughs> I'm just saying. All right. Next one I have is there's 50% off the Firefly RPG on drive-thru RPG for the month of February. 50% off. Huh. That RPG. Take a look. Link in the show notes. Go out there to drive through and check it out. And the last one I had was the Black Hack. It's a Kickstarter. One of the guys I follow out on uh, Google Plus has uh, another guy out in the UK. Um, well, it it's one of those things. It's an OSR game by David Black. And I'm like, yeah, do I really need another OSR game? Like, okay, this looks kind of interesting, kind of cool. He's got 20 days left. He's not looking for a lot of money. And I'm like, wait a minute. How, what do I get for a pledge? And I'm like, okay, for 26 bucks US, I get six copies of the print edition of the PDF and stretch goals have reached. I'm like, okay, so for 26 bucks, I get six copies? That's pretty freaking cool. Um, I, I follow, I follow, uh, I follow him out on <clears throat> excuse me, out on Google Plus, as I said, and David's a pretty cool dude. And I just figured, you know what? I'm going to throw that out there. We've got some folks that are OSR stylists out there. I've got my OSR leanings. I figured I'd just share that and see if uh, it's worth a look, right? Hmm. Interesting. Sean? Hey, so, um, yeah. You're unlisted. You're unlisted. I'm kind of all over the place this week. Michael, right, what do you got? Michael Pitt lands villain role opposite Scar Joe. Or Scarlett Johansson in Ghost in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell. Ooh. Ghost in the Shell movie. So I, I say this because uh, Ghost in the Shell is good. Um, and it's a movie. They're turning it into a movie. And while it's not a big deal announcing an actor signing on, it just tells you that it's moving forward, I think, if you're getting somebody casted for it. So we'll have a link in the show notes to that particular announcement. So Very cool. Ghost in the Shell. Um, Green Ronin Roundtable blog post on their site outlining Blue Rose development and how it's coming along. So if you're familiar with Green Ronin, or if you're not, link in the show notes, but Blue Rose was where True 20 originated. So if you're not familiar with True 20, that's another system that came out around the D20 time. Um, and I think they re-kickstart, or they kickstarted 
Blue Rose Fantasy Role Playing. Um, so they had a successful Kickstarter, and then they're going to outline, along with a preview of some of the ways Blue Rose uses and modifies material from the Age system, which is the adventure game engine system rules found in Fantasy Age. So we'll we'll kind of put that out there uh, to give you a sneak peek. Well, they're giving they're giving you a sneak peek, but interesting. Yeah, and if you've got in if you got in on that Kickstarter, yeah. let me know because um, I know a little bit of Blue Rose and from and then I went to True Twenty. True Twenty intrigued me. I think I actually had a review copy of it, but I never got into it. And if and True Twenty also I thought was like one of the original systems for Mutant and Masterminds. I think it might have been. I think it did. It went Blue Rose, True 20, Mutants and Masterminds. Anyways, so uh, PaizoCon 2016 tickets on sale now. Guest of Honors announced. So PaizoCon annual fan fest uh, for the world of Pathfinder to take place in Seattle, May 27th to the 30th. Um, I don't know too many. I, I personally haven't associated myself with a lot of people that are going to PaizoCon. Um, unless you listen to like 3.5 private sanctuary or the Pathfinder podcast with, um, Oh, Ryan Costello from Canada. Um, they, I think he goes there and covers that a little bit. So this year's guests of honor are artist Tyler Walpole and author Nicholas Logue. If you're interested in going to PaizoCon schmoozing with them ironically enough jason bullman from paizo is coming from to gary con oh very cool and then of course one thing i didn't put on there and i don't think we've mentioned is that um the apocalypse oh the apocalypse world second edition the second edition kickstarter yes brett didn't even put that out there do you back that brett i have not are you going to back it i don't know apocalypse world Second edition. Phil's got my hardcover uh, coaster, so I'm not sure what I if I need to get another one. Oh well, that is a powered by the apocalypse. I know, I know. I'm just teasing. Um, I have not played Apocalypse World. I'm looking at. I honestly, I'm looking at it. It's one of those things where I'm like, you know what? This game, from a design perspective, when Jonathan Tweet goes, "Hey, this game taught me a lot about game design. This is really cool. I'm getting in on it." I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. Krill and yeah. Phil and Chris, good God, misdirected Mark boys, of course, are talking about it. I'm like, oh, okay, two more guys I, I trust their opinion. That sounds pretty good. Seeing other people talking about them, so we'll see. We'll see. They may end up with some of my money. So Vincent Baker has done a few things, and uh, you know he's he's got a good reputation. And obviously, this is a second edition, so it's not like he's doing this from scratch. Correct. Um, but yeah, I mean, and it's they're in a. Misdirected Mark guys mentioned this on their show. I don't remember what episode one ninety ish or whatever eighty they're up to. Um, so the reward levels. I mean, Vincent isn't going to throw in one over the other and another or the other. You're going to get the PDF, or you're going to get the game and the PDF, or whatever it is. Um, the goal was like nineteen grand. He's up to like sixty nine. Yeah, I'm looking at it. He's at 69,534. So <laughs> there's yeah. been a lot of games that have come out of the rules, the basic kind of the powered by apocalypse. And this is, it's based on the apocalypse world game. So yeah. it's a, it's interesting. I like it and uh, I'm interested in getting it. I think I have apocalypse world PDF, but I've never, never played it. I played Dungeon World, which is powered by the apocalypse. 
you know, for 28 bucks, you get the book, soft cover book and a PDF, complete set of playbooks. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. So yeah, check that out anyway. That, I'm Vincent's, you know, got a good reputation, so I, I know that's going to come through. Yes, absolutely. But anyways, thanks for tuning in. We want to thanks uh, thank everybody for contributing this to the show. Corey Wynn, uh, amongst others, like Joe Swick, Kevin Lovecraft, Steve Day, Old School DM, Christian, Sexy Voice Serrano, Jeff Rademacher, Forrest Aguirre, Misdirected Mark, Brett's biggest fan, Mark Anthony Benedetti, and Tony Baker. And if you'd like to support the show and want to know how, go to gamingandbs.com forward slash support. You can find different ways to do that. Next episode, we are talking about what, Brett? We're going to talk about Gumshoe. We alluded to it today, kind of a little prep about investigation. And uh, next one, we'll tear the covers off that and uh, talk about a little more detail. Otherwise, I'm your host, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night, good game and all.